0: Well, welcome again to another podcast, Down to Earth, but Heavenly Mind It. And I'm your host, Irv Risch. And again, we are going through the uh, writings by Keith uh, Gargaz uh, on a layman's look at the uh, Gospel of John. And we're now in chapter 19. Uh, but I just want to say this. This is a very sad chapter. It makes us want to weep, but at the same time, we can rejoice that this chapter is in the Bible and that we can rejoice in the fact that God loved us and he provided salvation for us. And this is how he did it. So with that said, we're going to go right into the chapter and read Keith's writing.
1: John Chapter 19 A layman looks at John's Gospel. We have arrived at one of the most solemn chapters in the whole Bible. The Crown of Thorns So Pilate then took Jesus and had him flogged. Although Pilate found nothing to charge Jesus with, he still scourged him. This was no mere beating with a whip, but with a Roman scourge, which is like a cat of nine tails with hooks on the end of the strands it would plow deep furrows in the victim's back. This was just the beginning of the torture of Christ. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and placed it on his head, and put a purple cloak on him, and they repeatedly came up to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and slapped him in the face again and again. Now the Roman soldiers join in mocking the Lord. When Adam fell, the earth was cursed for his sake, and part of the curse was that thorns and thistles would grow up competing with food crops. Thorns, then, are a token of the cursed earth, and it was a crown of thorns that the soldiers wove together and jammed on the Saviour's holy brow. They clothed him in a royal robe to mock him, and mockingly hailed him, King of the Jews. They slapped his face repeatedly. In the Song of the Suffering Messiah in Isaiah, we read that his face was marred more than any man. And then Pilate came out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you so that you will know that I find no grounds at all for charges in his case. Pilate is riding the fence. He can discover nothing to charge Jesus with, yet he does not release him and justify him. He does tell the Jews that he can find no fault in him. Jesus then came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. Here is God's man, dressed the garb of mockery. He is the man who stand in the gap for all men. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they shouted, saying, Crucify! Crucify! The Jewish leaders respond by demanding his crucifixion. This is far from a fair and just trial. It is mob rule. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no grounds for charges in his case. Instead of simply declaring him not guilty, Pilate is willing to allow the Jews their murderous desires. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Now Pilate is given something else to consider. Not only does Jesus claim to be a king, but he claims to be the Son of God. It is for this that the Jews wish to kill him. Pilate was already distressed by the situation and hearing this struck fear in his heart. Therefore when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, and he entered the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? A troubled Pontius Pilate returns to the judgment hall and asks the Lord where he is from. To Pilate's frustration, the Lord gives no response. But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you, and I have authority to crucify you? Pilate now tries to demand an answer, based on his authority, by supposing that he has the power to either crucify or release the Lord Jesus. The Lord's response is swift. Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all, if it had not been given to you from above, for this reason, the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus reminds Pilate that his authority is conveyed, not intrinsic. He then goes on to say something that Polari finds most distressing. He says that the one who delivered him to Pilate has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, but the Jews shouted, saying, If you release this man, you are not a friend of Caesar, everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Pilate doubled down on his efforts to release Jesus, but the Jew wanted none of it. What they really are doing is threatening to make problems for Pilate with his boss, the emperor. This is too much for a weak man like Pilate, and at this he folds. Overpowered by public opinion, Pilate sets about to deliver the Lord Jesus to be crucified. He sits in the official seat of judgment. He renders an unjust judgment on behalf of the whole human race. Therefore when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Jew and Gentile united in their rejection of the Son of God. By now it's 6 a.m. on the morning of the Passover. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, it was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Look, you're king. One final time, Jesus is presented as the king of the Jews and again he is rejected. So they shouted, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king except Caesar. The treachery of the human heart is on full display now. The chief priests, who should have taken the lead in welcoming and embracing the Messiah, instead take the lead in demanding the death penalty for him. In doing so, they choose ongoing domination by Rome rather than the liberty Christ offered. The Crucifixion. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. The other narratives tell us that Pilate washed his hands and declared himself innocent of the murder of Jesus, but washing his hands only got them wet. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, carrying his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. Exhausted, beaten, and bleeding, the Savior resolutely carried his own cross up Golgotha's hill. We now are told to take up our crosses daily and follow him. He has shown us the way. We will examine his crucifixion in our next study, The Lord Willing. The Lord has arrived at the top of the hill Golgotha. By the name, the place of a skull, I assume it to have been a regular crucifixion place. Crucifixion was a very cruel means of execution, used by the Romans to exhibit their domination and create fear of rebellion. As soon as the nails were driven in the victim, death was inevitable, due to tetanus. It was a slow and miserable death lasting several days. Infection would quickly set in, and the victim would have to push up on the nails to draw each breath, eventually suffocating in agony. It was a humiliating death, as prisoners were stripped naked and exposed to mockery and derision. There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Hung between two convicts, the Lord was numbered with the transgressors. Now Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. What a man may do in mockery, God sovereignly uses for his own purposes. He makes even the foolishness of men to praise him. Pilate may have written King of the Jews to mock the Lord Jesus, but God ordained that this title was afforded him. Therefore many of the Jews read this inscription, because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. God ordained that this testimony be seen by many of the Jews visiting Jerusalem for the Passover. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write, the king of the Jews, rather, write that he said, I am king of the Jews. Of course, the Jews objected to this title, but Pilate's superscription remained. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to each soldier, and the tunic also, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, Let's not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be. This happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled, they divided my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. Therefore the soldiers did these things. As was their custom, the Roman soldiers divided up the spoils. There must have been some value to the pieces of Jesus' garments, but the tunic was best left undivided, so they gambled for it. All this had been foretold many years before in the scriptures. We see the callous hearts of the Roman soldiers, and a deeper hatred will soon be displayed, but God was working in the heart of their leader, as we will see. Now beside the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Three women, all named Mary, stood watching this sad happening. Mary, the Lord's mother, his aunt Mary, and Mary Magdalene. We can only imagine the anguish Mary the Lord's mother felt seeing her holy son nailed to the cross. How it must have broken her heart. We know really nothing about this aunt, except that she must have loved him and his mother. We do know of Mary Magdalene's devotion and gratitude to him. So when Jesus sought his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold, your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold, your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own household. John was the only disciple at the cross, as far as we know. We see the Lord's tender concern for his mother and his trust of John. He commends his mother to John's care. As her eldest son, he would have been responsible for her care, and he knew the work he had in store for his natural brothers James and Jude. There are important details of the Lord's time on the cross that we must read the other Gospels to discover. John concentrates on the themes given to him to write about. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, in order that the scripture would be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. The Lord never became confused or disorientated while suffering on the cross. The scripture and its fulfillment were ever before his mind. Terrible thirst accompanies crucifixion, and so he cried out, I am thirsty. Common human decency would have led someone to bring him a taste of water, but instead he was given vinegar. What mockery! A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Having tasted the vinegar, the Lord cried out with a loud voice, Finished! He was not weak or diminished. What was finished? The work of redemption and all that his Father had given him to do. He had made atonement for our sins and now, of his own volition, he gave up his life. No man took it from him. No man ever did this, before or since. Care of the Body of Jesus Now then, since it was the day of preparation, to prevent the bodies from remaining on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews requested of Pilate that their legs be broken, and the bodies be taken away. The Lord was crucified on the day of the Passover. The following day, which I believe was Friday, was a Sabbath, or day of rest. The next day was Saturday, also a Sabbath. This is an important point because the Lord told the Jews that He would be in grave for three days and three nights, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, with great religious care for the sanctity of the Sabbath, and no regard for the true Passover lamb, of whom the scripture said, "A bone of him shall not be broken." The Jew asked Pilate to have the prisoners' legs broken so they could not push up to breath and would die very quickly. They wanted the mess of the crucifixion cleaned up for the holiday. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him, but after they came to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. It was an amazing thing for a crucified man to have expired so quickly. The Lord had said, No man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself that I might take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Having completed the work of redemption, The Lord dismissed his spirit of his own volition. Death had no claims over him, because he had never sinned. Nor had any of the sins he bore remained unsatisfied. Had he not fully satisfied the holy claims of God, he would remain buried in the grave, but he was raised for our justification. Our justification is verified by his resurrection. There was no reason to break Jesus' legs, but in one last act of human hatred, one of the soldiers took a spear and thrust it into the Lord's side, shedding his blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. His shed blood was proof that his life had been given. Yet one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. The very spear that pierced thy side drew forth the blood to save. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son cleanses us from all sin. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you also may believe. John has given us a first-hand eyewitness account, and we either must accept it, or call him a liar. For these things took place so that the scripture would be fulfilled, not a bone of him shall be broken. And again another scripture says, they will look at him whom they pierced. The Holy Spirit had foretold so many intricate details of the crucifixion so we can see plainly that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Now after these things Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, requested of Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. Joseph of Arimathea had been a secret follower of the Lord Jesus, but now, energized by the Holy Spirit, he came to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. He was with the rich in his death, so he came and took away his body. What an honor this man was given to be chosen to take down the body of the Lord Jesus and tenderly prepare it for the grave, joined by another secret disciple, Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night. Also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred litras weight. God put it into the hearts of these two wealthy men to give the Lord a proper burial. This would be the last the world saw of Jesus. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. God had ordained every last detail of his son's burial. Man's abuse of him had come to an end.
0: Well, that ends the reading uh, of this chapter. And as we went through this chapter, it just, this hymn came to my mind. And it is so fitting when we remember the Lord's death that we sometimes sing this hymn. And this is the Lord's earthly ministry. Uh, And he completed the work the Father had sent him to do. The hymn that I'm talking about is, uh, we got a red hymnal. And it's uh, hymns of truth and praise. And it's hymn 163. And that hymnal, it's called One Day. And I'm going to share the second verse with you because It pertains to this chapter. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on the tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected. Bearing our sins, my redeemer is he. And then the stanza covers all of the the five verses in this. Uh, him, but I'm just going to read the refrain and it says living he loved me uh, dying he saved me buried he carried my sins far away and that's what we're going to be reading he was laid in the tomb at the end of this chapter but rising he justifies freely thee forever and one day He's coming, oh, glorious day. Beautiful hymn. Well, with that, I'm just going to close this uh, a podcast until the next time, and we'll be in chapter 20. We only got two chapters to go. With that said, bye for now.